Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Women, and we are speaking with Jonay Booth today. And Jonay is a partnership manager with the Michigan League of Conservation Voters. Now, Jonay, what she does there, she assists with building strong, authentic, and intentional relationships with diverse communities and businesses across the state. Now, Jonay's background, um, in addition to what she's doing now, she's worked on presidential campaigns. She is in Minnesota, and prior to working on the Michigan LCV team. She was the Diversity and Inclusion Outreach Director for United States Senator Tina Smith. Before that, she was a, a Senior Policy Advisor to the former Minnesota Governor Mark Dayton. Um, she's worked on presidential campaigns. She has a degree from the University of Minnesota, and she's been recognized as a leader at 2018 40 Under 40 Award from the Minnesota State St. Paul Business Journal. Janae, thank you very much for being on Inspiring women. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you. Well, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I always like to start um, with inspiring women, speaking to women like you. What are you doing now? What is you do in your day-to-day profession? Where, where are you at today? Yeah, so currently I am uh, in Michigan in a uh, Detroit suburb uh, called Canton. And I am, you know, because of COVID, working from home for the Michigan League of Conservation Voters, which is a bit of a misleading name. Uh, most folks assume, you know, they hear conservation, they assume conservative or whatever, but they never really understand. But essentially what we do is work to advocate for um, laws around, you know, clean drinking water, clean climate, energy, land, water, air, all of those issues. And knowing, you know, about the importance of clean water in Michigan, it's a really, really enlightening and interesting place to be in doing this work. So I do a lot of work with our team around partnerships. So building relationships with non-traditional communities that you wouldn't always assume go hand in hand with the environment. So like thinking about the health space and the connections there and the connections to education. And so uh, it's been a little over a year now, but I'm really enjoying it and just learning so much that I never thought I would ever, you know, know about, especially when it comes to drinking water. Well, drinking water in the state of Michigan is something I think we all learned about with the Flint, Michigan water crisis. And um, I think we've also come as a public to learn about the interconnectivity of those kinds of public issues to all kinds of broad networks. So very interesting work. Now, Jonay, in terms of your background, I mean, you have worked on presidential campaigns, state, federal government, back to state government. Tell us the interest in terms of, you know, how did politics become of interest to you? How did government work become a place that you're passionate about? Yeah, it's actually really interesting, Lori, because I I literally fell into it. So before I took my first job in politics, I wanted to be the next Oprah. So I wanted to be a talk show host. I wanted to be on TV. I wanted to be in people's business. And then um, I had taken a job right out of college. That didn't work, fell through. So I had to come back home. 
And um, it just so happened that a former, like a really close friend of ours that I probably hadn't talked to in years, but he was older than me, uh, became a state senator in that time. And so he was looking for a legislative assistant and he was kind of looking around at like all of the different assistants in, you know, between the House and the Senate. So that's over a hundred and something assistance and saying, wow, we really don't have that many assistants of color. And so he reached out and was doing some really intentional outreach about getting folks involved. And so he just so happened to get my name and he interviewed me. And, you know, even when I took the interview, like I, I was talking to him as if he was a U.S. senator because I didn't even understand the difference in levels of government. And so that shows you my level of interest in politics. I had none. And so I took this job. It was a huge leap of faith. And I literally like haven't left since. And I, you know, from there, it's just like things kind of fell into my lap and different opportunities um, through word of mouth always came across my way. Same with the governor's office. I had no intention of doing policy work. And, you know, I was really lucky that uh, the governor and lieutenant governor at the time noticed me from my work with uh, Senator Bobby Joe Champion. And I kind of have just fell into everything since then. <laughs> Well, that is incredible. And actually, you know, falling into that a couple of years ahead of this past year, the pandemic, where we've seen sort of structural racism and public awareness of issues that have always been there, but our level of understanding of them, you know, as a public has really exploded during the course of this year. So once you took that leap of faith and probably learned the differences between state and federal government, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, what kept your interest? Just give us a sense of those early days when you were starting to learn and be effective there? I think just knowing and learning the actual implications of like, you know, I felt like before that politics just seemed so disconnected and I never really saw myself in the issues. But as I actually started to do the work day to day and understand, you know, wow, these people literally decide, you know, how fast I can drive on, you know, the street outside of my house. They decide just so many things that affect my day to day life. And I was oblivious to it. And so I kind of got like trapped then because I was just like, oh my gosh, now I'm interested in this. And then I really found um, kind of the portfolio that I loved and, and uh, worked on a lot in my time in Minnesota was around like criminal justice reform and second chance work and giving folks that have, you know, may, may have served time when they get back out into the community, figuring out how to get them back into society, right? And so I think really just the understanding of how real it is for people and getting to do work that was transformational, like, you know, a bill that my former boss passed, uh, giving folks a chance to get their records expunged so that they could get a job or could find housing and understanding that affects thousands of people. And, you know, I'm just sitting here kind of collecting the paperwork and moving it around. And so I just, I was hooked after I realized the, you know, the, the, how it affected people on a day-to-day -day basis. So you go from no awareness to sort of catching the bug, understanding the kind of impact that you can have being in government jobs. So that's really interesting. But you've had a number of career opportunities, sort of one progressing from the next. How did you find those next things? Were there people that pulled you into them? Were there people that you reached out to? Did you have mentors? Give us a sense for that. Yeah, one of the things that I really have always tried to do even before I got into politics is find mentors because I think you can always learn from someone. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, do exactly what they did, but you can learn from their mistakes or their successes. And so I was also blessed to have like really great mentors that I came across. And I will say I've always been blessed to have really amazing bosses. 
that invested in me just as much as I invested in them, right? And so that also changed my perspective throughout my career path of like, am I just coming to work for you and just pour everything I have into you and you're not even interested in seeing like me succeed or making sure that the passions and things I want to do are included. And so that was really a part of like shaping kind of my trajectory is that I would have different mentors and they kind of knew what I wanted to do. And then they would find opportunities like like I said, my old boss, Senator Champion, uh, another way I got into the governor's office was because he was very adamant. Like anytime he came across a meeting with the governor, lieutenant governor of saying like, yeah, my assistant John A is doing X, Y, and Z, you know, and not everybody does that. Some people don't, you know, act like they have anybody helping them. And so I thought, I think that really is what helped kind of lay out the path that I'm on is I've always had people that have advocated for me when I'm nowhere near the room that, you know, a conversation is happening. Well, being in the room matters, just being able to observe, take the notes, understand the types of conversations that you might not be leading a conversation, but just hearing it is a wonderful opportunity. So those are great things. And also, I think, you know, for other women hearing this, you know, the more that you can find yourself to be in those um, kind of places, you learn a lot from them. Maybe, Jonay, if we can talk about some of the DEI work that you did prior to your current work now. I mean, you were doing that before everybody was doing it. It seems like everybody has a diversity, equity, and inclusivity program underway. I'd love to understand your thoughts about that. What were you doing? How is it different now versus then? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, so I, once again, my time with U.S. Senator Tina Smith, who is amazing. I worked for her in like four different capacities, but And so I really just like valued her as a person. But after working on her campaign and just understanding her as a person, it was very clear to me that she wasn't just a talker when it came to D&I work, right? Like she actually wanted to put in the work and do better and see the spaces that she was in become much more inclusive. And so when I worked on her with, you know, on the campaign and different things, it was just clear that like, we couldn't let the ball drop once she was elected and that we had to continue the work of engaging communities of color and making sure that all voices were at the table. And so when I thought about, you know, the different roles that were already in her office, I was like, hmm, you know, I can pass off all of these connections and folks can make sure that they're staying in touch once she's elected, but who's going to actually be able to foster those and, you know, have the capacity to really wrap their arms around doing this work and being intentional. And so I was like, I don't know that anyone's there because everyone's portfolios are already full. And so I kind of pitched to their office, you know, how about I come in and I really make sure that communities of color can actually see themselves in your office, right? Like it's not this distant place where, you know, nobody ever talks to you. And then you, you do hear the narrative, which can be very true in some cases, you know, politicians only come around when it's election time. Mm -hmm. And so that was my focus is really taking the work that she was doing every day, but just making sure that in every step of the way we were putting a DNI lens on it so that we could truly put our money where our mouth was and not just be talking about it and not come around election time, but be doing that work all throughout. And I feel like folks are starting to realize the importance of it, right? Folks are starting to realize that communities of color are not dumb so that we can tell when you're just faking it for the moment versus when you're actually instituting new changes and creating a much different culture. And I think that's where it's changing. And you're seeing, especially with social media, that the just talking about it doesn't work anymore. People want to see action, you know, and they're going to call you out on it. 
So that's that's what I'd like to understand more about because I think everybody is talking about it and it seems like that has been long overdue. And I hear a lot from different people in terms of DEI efforts that we want to be intentional about it. What does that mean? What's the difference between just talk and being intentional and showing results? Yeah, so I'll give you an example. So a lot of times I'm invited across the board to come in and like talk about different things or work with folks to say, we want to be inclusive. We want to be intentional. We want to do the work, right? And then I get there and it's only talk and they just want, folks just want to hear, you know, kind of what the plan is, but they don't actually want to do the work or they're always skeptical. And something that I've learned, I think this will always be true. And so I can't remember who told me this, but they said, communities of color know what to do in their own communities. They don't need someone to come in and tell them what to do. They know what to do. And so when you let folks lead, you really do see the changes and the the investments that you want. And so a a phrase that I really love um, that I've heard a lot of times is nothing about us without us. And so I think that's the difference, right? There's one thing to say and like, you know, sometimes you get a room full of like, white men or women and they're thinking about how can we work in communities of color and not one person in that room is from a community of color right and so i think actually one making sure folks are included but then also letting them lead and trusting them to know their own communities and not always need you know that outside input and thinking you know better it doesn't work that way right you can't ask someone for help but then constantly tell them that but no not like that right Right. Well, look, I think that's really specific, extremely, extremely helpful. Let's move it, move that same um, thought process to career development. And as an African-American female professional, you know, what are some of the issues that you see that are unique to you? And what are you advocating for? What are the types of things that someone like myself, who is a white professional, you know, that I should know about? Give me some of those examples. Yeah, so that's interesting because actually in my role at Michigan LCV, one of the things we're talking about is what's called bystander intervention. And so basically, it's basically learning how to be an ally when people of color, women or whatever are in a space where you might have to stand up and, you know, intervene. And it's very subtle. But one of the things when we started this discussion, I I told people about it. it It's so easy, but it's a really big deal is when I worked for Governor Dayton, I remember many times he had a white female assistant and I would be in the uh, room with him as his senior policy advisor. And then on the other side would be his white female assistant. And many times white men in particular would come into the room and have a meeting and disregard me the whole time because they assumed I was the assistant. But what was very helpful from the governor and um, his assistant at the time was that they were allies and they would frequently pivot the conversation back to me so that whoever we were talking to understood that, no, this woman is in charge as well and her voice is just as important to me and you cannot disregard her in this in this space, right? And I think, at least for me as a Black woman, that is what I find helpful because those, that happens all the time, right? Just assumptions are being made that, either I don't deserve to be there or I don't actually know what's going on or I have no say. Um, And so when you have allies that are willing to say, oh, oh, no, 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 no. Jonay, what do you think? And bring the conversation back around. That's that's been one of the key things that it's small, but it's really impactful, especially when you find yourself um, as a Black woman in spaces that are predominantly white. 
Right. And I think also the, that guidance that you're giving of th these are things that allies can do because there are also many conversations of people want to be um, a good ally, but they don't necessarily know what that specifically means and what can be done. And I think there are simple things that actually do matter. And I think that that is also generally true for being an ally to women in general, because there are many times that just women are in conversations and their voices are not being heard or disregarded or things like that. So that's really terrific um, examples, Jenny. Thank you for that. What about other issues? I mean, sometimes, you know, you know, if we talk about women moving up in leadership, there's more emphasis on having diverse teams, but there's often sort of a one of something. And sometimes that can be a token kind of person, but they're not, they don't necessarily have a true seat at the table. How, have you seen those situations? How do you advocate for changes to those situations? Have you experienced those situations? And what have you done in those um, those instances? So I, along with some other amazing women in Minnesota, we had started a group called Minnesota Power Move. And it was basically started because we found that we were in these spaces, you know, again, as women of color that were predominantly white, and we just, we didn't know what to do. Like we didn't, we all knew we were frustrated and having similar experiences, but we had no clue of like, what is an outlet? So we created this group where that was kind of how we, that was the basis of us coming together, just getting together and figuring out as a group of women, how do we feel? What are we doing? And what are some things that we can do to turn this around? And one of the first events that we had was about being the only. And it was by far the most powerful, probably experience I've ever had because it was a room full of almost a hundred women of color in a room saying, every day I go to work, I'm exhausted. I'm beat down. I know that I'm good at my job, but because I'm the only, because someone's disregarding me, like I feel beat down every day I leave work. And so I personally have not had that specific experience directly where, you know, I've been invited into, I, I have had it in instances, but not directly from an employer, but it was powerful to just see that this happens to women and specifically women of color all day, every day. And so some of the things we talked about was having those outlets as women of color to kind of cope and having self-care and having spaces where you can come together with other women of color and debrief or talking to women or even other, other men, right? That can be allies and assist you and be transparent with them. Getting on different, you know, sometimes organizations or companies have uh, like the ERG groups and how can you use those and start to build some power for change. But I think if you talk to most women of color, they've experienced in some way, shape, form or fashion. Getting um, sort of groups uh, together uh, in terms of other people like you and how helpful that is and providing the support. But Joni, the, the other thing, just in, you know, reading some of your background, listening to some of your previous interviews, when you were recognized as one of the 40 under 40, you also talked about some of your own aspirations. And one of the things that um, sort of, you know, struck me was what you were, <laughs> uh, I think, recognized by your class as one of the most likely to become president. I remember reading Stacey Abrams' Lead from the Outside book, where when she said that out loud, people piled upon her for being too ambitious. And I'm curious, just as a woman who has ambition, have you been criticized for being that ambitious? What's been your experience? Because I think those are fantastic ambitions. Yeah. So as, as I mentioned earlier, like even as early as high school, I remember being Oprah for Halloween as ridiculous <laughs> as that is, because like, I just have always thought big for myself. Um, and I think that's also like, shout out to my parents um, who always taught me to just, you know, think big in my family. And so 
you know, of course, you're always going to have people. I mean, it could, and it's not even just professional, like, you know, personal relationships of people kind of trying to put that light out in you. And so I've, I've definitely experienced that. But I think I just the way I'm built, like it, it doesn't really affect me. I just keep going for what I know I love and I'm passionate about. And, you know, when people ask me, like, what do you want to do in five years? I never really have a specific answer because I don't have like a role or anything in mind, even though I said I'll be the next president. But what I mean by that is like, I just want to continue doing really good work and helping people. And one of the things I'm really passionate about in particular is working with communities of color and continuing to see that all of the knowledge and all of the things that I'm blessed with to learn and understand about politics and different structures, I can pass that on and use that to support communities of color to keep them going and um, really just do the work of people that look like me. Um, supporting them the best way I know how. Well, I think that, first of all, the ambition is great and the impact that you can have with that just seems um, boundless. So I really appreciate you having that passion. I'm energized just listening to you, Jonay. So thank you for that. As we're closing out today in this inspiring women conversation, I just love to hear your words of advice for other younger aspiring women, just as they might think about their career journeys, just from what you've learned so far and how you think about what's next. Yeah, I would say similar to what I mentioned earlier is finding folks that you can confide in, finding mentors that can help you. It has been such a great help to me to have folks that I can talk things through that I really trust and I know have my best interest in mind. And so finding those folks that are really going to be in your corner through the good, the bad, whatever is really key. And they're going to be transparent with you and not just tell you what you want to hear is so key because they're going to push you to be better. They're going to push you to do more. They're going to just always be encouraging you as well. And having like a really good, solid foundation of people around you is so key because again, those are going to be the people that when you're not in the room that are advocating for you and speaking up um, on your behalf. Well, that is just fantastic advice. We'll close out on that. This has been an excellent, inspiring women conversation with this inspiring woman, Jonay Booth. Jonay, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.